Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip. It's episode 132. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And calling in all the way from the other coast of our great nation, uh, returning champion who you may remember being on the show about a year ago, uh, it is our friend Tim. What's up? Hey, thanks for having me back. Of course. Glad to have you back. Last time Tim was on the podcast, we talked about Office Space and Speed Racer. That was a hardcore double feature, and dare I say... This one is just as hardcore. Uh, this wow. week, we are going to be talking about two films by the pride of the city of brotherly love, M. Night Shyamalan, uh, his 2013 film After Earth and his 2008 film The Happening. Uh, Tim, why was it these two films that you wanted to bring to the podcast? Well, uh, when JT and I were conferring about this, uh, we were initially thinking of trying to do a Philadelphia double feature so that I can, you know, rep the great city of Philly, myself being a lifelong resident of Philadelphia since 2015. And uh, What a long life you've had. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to do at least one Shyamalan and then it just ended up being uh, just just double up, do two Shyamalans, because he's awesome. And, and we got Will Smith in there. We got some True. more Philly love. Yeah, yeah, that makes up for it. And The Happening has, you know, a scene of everyone killing themselves in Rittenhouse Square Park. So <laughs> pretty iconic Philly scene. <laughs> Malcolm, your eyes lit up there. Anything you want to say with the rest <laughs> no, of the class? No, 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 no. <laughs> nothing, nothing, no opinion. I mean... If you're feeling, you know, uh, like you want to kill yourself, please call the suicide hotline. That's, <laughs> That's why mean, his eyes lit yeah, up. Yeah, because we didn't we mentioned suicide without kind of prefacing it with That's that type true. of uh, warning. So whatever that number is, look it up. Call it. Um, but since the happening is such a B movie in its roots and in its tonal approach to the genre, I wanted to start this week with After Earth. This is a sci-fi film that will smith had come up with the premise for uh just a a boy uh finding rescue for his father uh is supposed to originally be a contemporary set film and then the the idea of science fiction setting it a thousand years in the future kind of opened this whole thing up and you know it obviously increased greatly in budget and production value to the point where uh, Sony, who produced the film, was kind of planning on making this into a franchise of sorts. And uh, needless to say, it didn't really work out for them. Uh, this mm-hmm. is the, These two films, really, other than The Last Airbender, are the two probably most detested films in the Shyamalan filmography, despite both making quite a bit of money. Uh, they they just had such negative reception that they yeah have pretty bad reputations. I think that's what's interesting about Shyamalan is that his his movies even at his like most you know least respected period you know this is probably when the jokes are aplenty you know yeah. the happening through After Earth period. well really Lady in the Water through True, After Earth yeah, yeah. yeah that's that kind of sparked the flame and kind of the disappointment with the village or you know there's a lot of stuff I guess but. Uh, yeah. It is it is interesting that like I feel like he still has that pull to where people are like I still want to watch yeah. these movies or people kind of, you know, 
the typical, you know, mainstream Shyamalan stance, which is changing with time, though. You know, it's that, like, his first couple movies were great, and then ever since then, he's been kind of uh, degressing. Mm-hmm. And I think people, like, still... I don't know. It's like like he's an athlete. They they still like his rookie season. Or they're still coming out to the stands. Yeah, or they whatever. hate he's a fraud who yeah. can't make a real movie without Bruce Willis. <laughs> <Yeah>. And it, <laughs> but it's like it's interesting that like you know what I mean. Like when most people have a filmmaker like that, they just don't go see their next movie. They kind yeah. of escape their mind. You know, it's like people aren't going to see. I don't know. They're like ah fuck Martin Campbell. But you know, I'm gonna go see his new movie or whatever. Yeah. It is interesting. Kind of like he does seem to kind of like tap in to what like you know, whatever's going on. Cause like after earth on the surface kind of seems like, like an avatar ish movie, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And then like the happening of course taps into like a lot of, uh, social stuff happening at mm-hmm. the time. So it's, he always finds a way to stay relevant, whether people like his movies or not. The right? haters will talk their shit, but at the end of the day, they're buying a fucking ticket. So who's winning? Yeah. At the end of the day, he's grinding. So. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. The hustle always continues for old Absolutely. M. Night Shyamalan. And much like the happening after Earth uh, kind of, you know, takes issue with the way we treat our planet. It opens up with images of, you know, quote unquote, natural disasters often uh, being the uh, result of human inflicted like climate catastrophe. And we, we see the destruction of Earth uh, you know, over the opening credits before, you know, just in a few flashes, of course. Uh, and before mm. that, even though we see the uh, the ship that is going to crash about 20 minutes later, I, I, I think that's a really interesting opening image for this film is Will Smith, you know, kind of doing the uh, <laughs> meet the parents, Robert De Niro, you know, two eyes pointing at him and then at the kid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, the symbol that he's going to be watching over the kid throughout the whole movie and uh, that, that is kind of the premise of the movie. The founding of the United Ranger Corps 1,000 years ago was a global military effort, an evacuation of Earth. The Rangers would lead the settlement of mankind's new home, Nova Prime. But we were not alone. The aliens released the Ursa. Monsters, bred to kill humans. Technically blind, the Ursa sees humans based on the pheromones we secrete when frightened. They literally smell our fear. Humankind was again in danger of extinction, and again turned to the Rangers for the answer. After a ship has crashed, uh, the, these like space rangers, this space military, uh, this unit led by Will Smith. The only survivors are Will Smith and his son, Jaden Smith. And Will Smith's legs are broken. So the only way that he can retrieve help for the two of them is to retrieve a beacon that was lost in the tail end of the ship. And the untested cadet Jaden Smith will have to go on his own with his father watching through surveillance equipment uh, in his, you know, suit or whatever. This movie uh, reverses what normally happens where it's the dad trying to explain to the kid how to do something over the phone. Yeah. For the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I like the, the glimpses of like the future world as it is before we take off on that ship. You know, the first 15 minutes or so. Uh, get some classic, you know, sci-fi stuff of, you know, ships docking at, 
you know, wherever mm-hmm. they dock and uh, the futuristic house that Will Smith lives in where they eat with three pronged chopsticks, which I guess are the utensil of the future. <laughs> and uh, a lot is established about the family dynamic. Of course, uh, Jaden Smith, you know, his character is a bit of a hothead. He's, you know, a bit uh, more emotionally charged than the rest of the unit who are more detached, which is necessary here because these monsters, the Ursas, they they feed off of human fear. So in order to defeat them, you have to do what the film calls ghosting, uh, where you know Will Smith is obviously a legend of this, where he doesn't show any fear, and uh, because of that, he's able to sneak up on these monsters and kill them. And we see some footage of that uh, that combat early on through like the weird like heads up display, like almost video game like display. Uh, and throughout the film, you get a lot of weird heads up display stuff. And you know, it's one of the first major films shot in 4K too, and it has a very mm. digital, uh, you know, almost video gamey look at times, but. I think uh, Shyamalan pulls off some really interesting visual stuff with it. Yeah, uh, I also really like the way that digital effects and like photography and the uh, like sleek kind of sterile production design of a lot of the human technology. Um, I think all of that like plays uh, very well with this movie being about uh, how fear is not real. Yes. Um, and uh, something that I think, I think one of the reasons that Shyamalan has the appeal that he does is that uh, almost all of his films in some way deal with the nature of fear itself and what we are afraid of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and usually, of course, the fear of death. Um, the Happening uh, deals with this in its own way, which we'll get to. Uh, and this one is uh, kind of an interesting, I guess you could say this is like a late Shyamalan in that it's uh, kind of reflecting back on that recurring fixation of his in trying to transcend fear in a like basically doomed world. Uh, and I, I think it's interesting that both this movie and The Happening uh, revolve around er- the earth and nature like literally fighting back against humanity and Shyamalan's you know love for humanity and specifically the family unit uh you know pursuing all through all of that absolutely yeah and it's kind of interesting how the setup here you know kind of talking about how Shyamalan has certain themes that he kind of goes back to it's kind of like the the setup here almost kind of has like the meta stuff like that happens in old where it's like I, I associate kind of like Shyamalan movies kind of with like their strange emotions the characters can have and like, you know, they can be very mm. emotive. This is like a big criticism of his movies that sometimes like the dialogue and the emotions in the movies don't quite match up and like it creates like a, a weird sensibility or something like that. Whereas this is like, um, it's like, you know, Will Smith, we have Will Smith playing, you know, uh, Johnny Plank, you know, he's a, a wooden board, you know, a real, real stoic uh, performance, you know, as is required, you know, to be uh, a good military man in this movie or whatever. And then we kind of have the, you know, the embarrassing kind of teenage emotions of Jaden Smith and how, you know, he's kind of having to deal with that. And I, I don't know, I think that's kind of interesting, you know, set up just considering his movies kind of like just to have this whole thing kind of not revolve around the Jaden Smith performance, but kind of like all of the expressive emotions coming out through Jaden. I think that's kind of like an interesting setup. I mean, in terms of like Mm. 
literalizing and like representing like the distance between their relationship i think like it's so fascinating to me that like most of the movie the two of them are apart and you're like gauging and like seeing reactions that like i mean will smith obviously can like observe jaden at like certain points in this like whether or not he sees his face but it's such an interesting way to like present like conversations in like the whole of their relationship throughout the film where they'll be in dialogue but in like two entirely separate spots Mm -hmm. uh yeah i i think that the plotting of this film is interesting too because outside of the moments where you have some classic uh father-son confrontations and i think other than fear uh the biggest you know through line through m night's films is you know family and the family relationships and dynamics and the emotions that come out of those but outside of some father-son uh emotion stuff i feel like the plotting of this film is also kind of video gamey like logically moving from one step to the next you know the you're going to retrieve that beacon or we are going to die yeah. The, the ship crashes and, you know, you have this whole uh, debriefing of Will Smith telling his son what he's going to have to do and, uh, you know, all the steps he's going to have to take. And it's kind of just like one obstacle popping up after the next rather than building. Uh, and I think maybe that's why people found the film kind of boring or something like that. But I, I actually really like that kind of plotting for this film. I think it works really well. But then you contrast that with stuff like... Jaden lying to his dad about how much of the air supply he has left because he cracked some of the capsules Mm. when he fell down or something like that. And it's like almost painful to watch him just like lie because he's lying about something that is putting his own life in danger. But it's just classic kid stuff, you know, like you you can't help a kid from lying to his dad about messing up, even if it's like in this, you know, uh, futuristic space military setting. We're talking about like some of the times where you have that like video game vision or mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, even kind of like these flashbacks with the, I think uh, Zoe Kravitz kind of as like those kind of have like a weird POV video game kind of like moving along the plot aspect to yeah. too. I mean, I'm not you know, I'm a, I'm no gamer. I'm, I mostly stick to uh, NBA 2K. You know what I mean? That's that's <laughs> that's what I'm playing most of these days. But just in my limited experience, I feel like this has a you know, it's very video gameish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it all has to do with, uh, you know, in in terms of, like, the... Because both this and The Happening and a lot of Shyamalan's movies have to do with the separation of of the family. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it usually, in in the case of both of these films, results in, like, the literal force, like, spatial separation of a family. Uh, And uh, I I think it's, uh, you know, this having a futuristic setting... uh, but obviously sort of reflecting in the, in a similar way that the happening does the sort of like rolling crises of modern life uh, and how and how they affect uh, families. Um, I think it kind of makes sense that uh, the the experience of life itself is kind of represented as being video gamey mm-hmm. in this uh, techno future. And that uh, all of the uh, interaction between Zoe Kravitz and Will Smith that we see in those flashbacks is through a screen, and all of most of his interaction with Jaden is through a screen. Uh, and you know that obviously that reading can just be you know seen as like trite, like oh the dang phones, 
or whatever. Yeah. But Shyamalan, I think, uses it very like elegantly. Yeah, I also just in terms of the visual style of the film, it's not maybe as bombastic as some of other Shyamalan stuff in terms of like camera movement and forced mm-hmm. POV and stuff like that. But there are some really striking stuff. Uh, or s- there is some really striking stuff uh, when he, when Jaden is like getting dragged across this like iced over greenery when he's like frozen in his sleep by this bird. Uh, you get that POV shot of you know the hawk kind of you know dragging him through that stuff, and I don't know. Just whenever he cuts to a POV shot like that, it always feels really striking compared to the almost distanced feel that a lot of this uh, film has. I have to mention yeah. this. Uh, I, I read the Armand White review of. After, which he is he's a fan of after earth actually okay. not the happening but after earth and uh just you know he said uh the image of jaden smith lying in the cold reminds us of when obama spoke at morehouse college and that <laughs> all, those, all those students stand in the rain while he gave a speech <laughs> which is something Christ. only he remembered i'm sorry i had to bring it up so <laughs> no, so i'm glad you that's did awesome. that's <laughs> That's, that's, I know that's exactly what, it, what I was thinking. Exactly. No, it did remind me of that. So I thought it's like, oh, that's good. We have that parallel <laughs> thinking. <laughs> uh, speaking of, you know, the, the greenery being iced over, you know, then we get this climax at this mountaintop where he's fighting the, the Ursa. And it, I, I like that, you know, what a lot of people complain about, about uh, digital, you know, blockbuster filmmaking is that it's all, you know, you know, gray, colorless CGI. And that's literally what this fight scene is. It's like in the snow and very like monochrome almost. But still, I think the staging and the framing makes it so interesting. So it's like, yeah, you can have an almost colorless uh, CGI filled action scene and still make it really interesting, like with a lot of interesting CG textures and stuff stuff like that. And uh, I love that the uh, the camera that Will Smith had been watching on, you know, you see through that point of view as he stabs the Ursa at the end. And then when you cut to the next scene, when he visits his dad in the hospital after they'd been recovered, the like administrator or the nurse or something like that is watching like the instant replay of that fight uh, as if like he had already become a legend, you know, <laughs> like uh, shit went I, I viral. Thought, yeah, exactly. The shit still he goes viral, viral yeah. a thousand years later. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 147 yeah. quintillion people watch this <laughs> my future viral parody I, I would also uh, argue that the grayness and everything is uh, very much part of the story yeah in, in terms of the the sort of internalized ideology that will and Jaden's characters have of this uh you know super techno colonial society mm-hmm. Um, any final thoughts on this one before we wrap up? JT, you can go first. Yeah, I'm going to give this uh, three and a half bullets. I was really taken aback by like how much I enjoyed it, but I love the, I don't know, the simplicity of like that video game style narrative. And I think Shyamalan's like visual flair and just like the melodrama behind it. I mean, it's weird because it's uh, you uh, you have Will Smith being so like dead inside about it but like mm-hmm. Jaden's character contrasts that with such like vibrant emotions and especially I think uh the beat where he uh sort of brings up to his dad like what he could have done differently about uh like his mom dying and like being killed and it's like did you want me to like do something like I would have died too um I, I don't know I think it kind of makes it more sad and painful to me because it's just like you're not 
I mean, you're not quite sure what Will Smith's character is feeling throughout a lot of it because mm-hmm. he's so hmm. like stoic and stonewalled. And uh, yeah, great movie. Malcolm? Yeah, I, I enjoy that dynamic of kind of like having it, you know, trying to read Will Smith. You know, it is kind of like a stern dad. You know, you want to impress, you know what I mean? You're like, is he in a good mood or, you know, should I bring this up? <laughs> um, that being said, I like I, I really I didn't quite tap into this movie emotionally as I do other Shyamalans. Like I and maybe and maybe it's just the simplicity of the setup didn't quite give me enough meat on the bone to chew on. But at the same time, it doesn't really take away from the movie for me. I just, mm-hmm. I just don't quite get on that ride, you know, like I do other Shyamalans, but it's still like very, very well shot. And like, I think this is like for, you know, given the era, it was made in like very good use of digital and like, oh, yeah. I like you still yeah. st- see his visual style kind of in like full effect, even if it's not as showy as in other movies. And like, I think, you know, just kind of the, the bones, the bones and the gears and the, you know, the nuts of the movie is enough to keep me entertained. So I'm going to give it three bullets. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I think this is a good movie, just like a uh, baseline good movie, which, you know, I really like M. Night Shyamalan. So that puts it kind of toward the bottom of his filmography for me. Um, but I, I, I think like there's some stuff holding it back from feeling as personal as the rest of his films. I think the fact that it is, you know, an outside source, this is like Will Smith's idea for a movie that Shyamalan obviously brought to life in his own very distinct way. Uh, but also coming yeah. down to like Sony not using Shyamalan's name in the marketing, and that could just be a crude decision because his reputation wasn't very high at the time. Uh, but also mm. it, it, it does feel more like him doing something else rather than one of his organic films. Yeah. Uh, and also yeah. I, I hate to, you know, ride a, a line that so many of the, the haters did, but I can't quite get on board with Jaden Smith's yeah, performance has, in this. Yeah, no. He's not quite <laughs> there. And it's like, he's it's, doing the, the eyebrow thing the whole time. And it's it at times yeah. hard to watch DreamWorks stuff. No, it is like, cause it is like the criticism of a lot of Shyamalan movies. I love people criticize kind of like main performances like that, but like, I think in this case, I think they might be correct here yeah. to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, three bullets for me. Tim, what about you? I'm going to go ahead and do three and a half. Uh, I also think that it's mostly just like a good movie. Um, Shyamalan is not vibrating at quite as high a frequency as he is in The Happening. Um, and I do think the sort of, like you said, it being a, a creation of Will Smith's in, to some degree and also a big big budget blockbuster uh leaves me feeling a little bit colder than i usually do mm-hmm. than with most Shyamalans. that was also the case with uh the last airbender which is the only Shyamalan that i've seen that i like actually dislike mm-hmm. um and uh yeah but i mean otherwise i agree with pretty much everything everyone else has said uh it's a lot of his uh interesting fixations and themes put on a pretty cool a uh, sci-fi blockbuster backdrop and uh and yeah it's solid all right we'll be right back on extended clip dad yeah. i want to work with mom <laughs> me too And we're back on extended clip. 
It's Malcolm in the Middle, everyone's favorite segment. Life is unfair. Malcolm, <laughs> uh, have you? How's life been treating you? It's been it's been good. That I mean, it's I you know it might be a little late to comment on stuff like that, but the tag for it is so good. You know, Malcolm. I in feel the like it's built so much more each yeah. time as as we've gone on. Um, it's like why do we watch do we watch movies because life is unfair? I don't know. I don't know <laughs> the answer to that question. But a movie I did watch um, this week was Holy Smoke. And I think I've reported on a, a Jane Campion movie. That last week. Last week. Was it last week? Maybe the week? week before. Yeah. So maybe, you know, it's recent. There's a series going on. There's a retrospective in Los Angeles. And uh, as much as I like Sweetie, like it does, you know, it feels like a very early, somewhat amateurish, uh, you know, very Australian. Is she Australian? British? Yeah. I don't. Okay, nice. I nailed it. Um, <laughs> uh, work. I mean, to be honest, Holy Smoke is just as Australian. I don't, but uh, uh, I enjoyed it a whole Sorry, lot more. She's a New Zealander. Oh, uh, well, Same you know, thing. yeah, there's, you know, whoa, 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 <laughs> hey, whoa. Hey, man. I don't know the history behind, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the movie Belfast. I don't know the history there. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's going on in that movie. We'll but, get uh, to it. Uh, Holy oh, Smoke. <laughs> and uh, what a fun movie. It's uh Kate Winslet is essentially kind of just a middle-class Australian person who, who kind of travels to India, falls in love with a religious guru, and by all means is living like a pretty decent life out there, you know what I mean? But her parents are upset. They think she's been brainwashed. They kind of treat it like she's been into a cult, so they uh, lie that her father's dying to get her back home, and once they get her back home, they hire uh, cult exeter uh, Harvey Keitel, who kind of approaches his cult exiting game the same way you know a man does pick up artistry or something you know what he's I mean? like a d programmer yeah he's a d programmer he's like first i'm gonna get her alone two i'm gonna break her will and then three you know what i mean <laughs> just like a pickup artist and like essentially yeah and essentially the the setup or whatever all the pretenses adds up to where Kaitel and winslet are kind of isolated in this house together and, you know, it kind of becomes like a, a, a battle of the sexes type thing, you know, mm. like kind of like, in a, you know, kind of poke, poking at the goofiness of both of them. Kind of Harvey Cattell being like like a sleazy guy who like goes after a younger woman and like uh, Kate Winslet being kind of like, I don't know, using this her new religion as like a prop to find herself or whatever. You know, a lot of great... Uh, um, images of Kate Winslet in the uh, Indian garb or, you know what I mean? Religious garb, you know, that, uh, you know, may or may not be, you know, made to this day, but I, I don't know. It's just, it is very funny. Just like, uh, kind of like the manicness of both characters kind of, uh, just firing at each other and, uh, kind of, it kind of has like, uh, one of those movies. It's a, it's kind of a screwball comedy, kind of like where everyone's a, a caricature. I, I don't know. It's really funny. Uh, zany good time, real sexy, funny, zany good time at wow. the movies. Wow, sounds great. Wow. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I had actually never even heard of this one. Most it's, of her movies, I like know the premise of. At least, I'd never heard of this it's, one. It's it's a little racist. I think that's <laughs> I think that's why people shy away from championing. Is this that one. why you give it four and a half instead of five? <laughs> the the half star off that's, is no, the that's, little racism. <laughs> that's why I give it uh, four and a half instead of four. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it it is. Uh, it's a, it's a movie that like kind of has its premise, solves its premise like within the first 30 minutes and just has fun for the rest of it. That oh, sounds awesome. Yeah. JT, what about you? Oh boy, have I had a great time at the movies. 
uh, after. Da, na, 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 na. <laughs> oh yeah, you gotta you gotta put that in there somewhere. Um, but yeah, after much hype and much anticipation, the movie that everyone online is talking about—that's yeah. right, <laughs> Belfast—finally uh, dropped, and I couldn't. I couldn't make it out opening weekend. Admittedly, there was other engagements. Couldn't make so the were, red carpet. No, couldn't, couldn't make see Buddy in person. <laughs> no, <laughs> fake <laughs> Bell fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I finally. I mean, in order to fully commit to the bit, I uh, had to actually see Belfast and see if I could mine it for any more material. And it's so nondescript and boring and dog shit of a movie that I really couldn't get much more out of it. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, me and JT saw this together, and it is kind of like, uh, I forgot who said, I think maybe Herm Edwards. It's like, uh, they are who we thought they were type of situation. It is like, there's no, there's no, there's no real surprises here. If you saw the <laughs> Belfast trailer, you could pretty much buy the numbers. Well, here's the thing. Actually, one, one, one complaint, I guess. I thought it was about like the IRA, Irish independence, that situation. It's more about like the Protestant versus Catholic beef that was going on during the time it's a movie set in 1969 and it's set in black and white that kind of that kind of is like annoying right like i don't know there's something annoying that's about you know, the world was in color in by past. then yeah, yeah exactly yeah. it's like have we entered that era now where it's like 70s um you know retro picks are going to be black and white i don't it, the, the logic doesn't quite add i'm going to do my 90s childhood movie in black and white was mid 90s in black and white <laughs> i think it was but uh, i think so <laughs> jt i sorry i gotta hear it straight from the horse's mouth what, what what did you take away from this movie um well i don't really know anything more about irish history now yeah, but that's the point i was making like i don't like i have no idea who's supposed to be the good or bad guys in this movie but i guess that's kind of the point which why it sucks i mean it's just like the 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 character of Buddy is just like a blank slate, like child um, who has like just I don't know. There's nothing really to him. It's like supposed to be Brana's like returning to the homeland, like personal recollection, and it's just devoid of any like character or like personal aspects of it. Like yeah, I think it's like shot like well enough, and like there's like decent framing there, but it I don't know. It's just it literally starts with like a tourist montage opening <laughs> in color of like Belfast today and then goes to uh, black and white and we meet Buddy on his street and it's just like, oh yeah, everyone loves it here and you don't really understand why. It's just because they've been there forever. Yeah. Um, and well, Buddy being the, and I haven't seen this movie, but Buddy being the Kenneth Branagh stand-in and being described as a blank slate kind of works perfectly because from the limited works I've seen, Kenneth Branagh is an extremely bland director who you could describe his movies as blank slates almost. And I mean, there's like a terrible like device that happens a few times where it's like Buddy is at the theater and they're in black and white, but what they're watching is in color. Oh. And then uh, the same thing happens when they go to like a stage performance as well. And that's when it's just like, come on, man. Like, this is so fucking stupid. Yeah, they, Didn't you say they watched The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance in the movie? Yeah. Do they, they colorize Liberty Valance? No, Buddy is... <laughs> a, it's Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is in color, but like Buddy and one of his... I don't know, brother, friend, I don't fucking know. Yeah. They're like underneath... Uh, like, uh, they're under somewhere watching uh, Liberty Valance on TV. And uh, that is the best part of the movie. It's just like... I think in the Armand White review, there's a point where he's like, 
I have a rule where it's like when you're making a movie, you should never remind someone of like a much better film. And that, that like at that moment, it was like, why am I not at home watching Liberty Valance? <laughs> no, it is like the speak on the intro. It, it did feel like one of like NFL Sunday intro, like opening shots of Pittsburgh before they like play the game. Like it does have that. <laughs> yeah. And it's playing like Van Morrison. It's like, am I watching like some Stillwater ripoff? Like what, what is this movie? You know what I mean? It is. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's bland as fuck. And it is like, it just like, I love like the one thing of dialogue that they're going with to push the movie. It's like, that's why they call it long division. Cause it takes a long time. And I think that's supposed to be a metaphor for the, like the Catholic Protestant beef, which I don't know who is good or bad <laughs> yeah. in that situation. I have no, I, you know what I mean? Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's ambiguous. Maybe we're all the bad guys. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. In Whoever that wins, we lose True. kind of an alien versus predator situation. Steady. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm I Jewish. I also saw Belfast, and it really was like the most nondescript movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Damn, uh, I feel I, left out now being the only person on this podcast who hasn't seen Belfast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, it's the movie of the season, uh, I, and I love in the like in the like awards talk about this movie. It's yeah. so crazy to me that anyone is singling out any actor as like particular like left an impression because. I don't remember what anyone in this movie did or said. <laughs> was it the dad's job? He was like a yeah. I don't know. He he worked in Britain. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Fuck it. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, Fuck Belfast. Unless you want to pick Belfast, Tim. Did you watch anything noteworthy recently? Uh yes, I I watched something better than Belfast. I uh I went to uh, well, the to Lightbox. Yeah, it's a tall order. Better than Belfast, but. Uh, I, I went to the Lightbox Film Center in Philly uh, earlier this week, and I saw a movie called Delta Space Mission, uh, which is a uh, Romanian animated film from 1984, uh, clocking in at a delicious 68 minutes. Ooh. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, just like a weird uh, sci-fi thing about an alien woman who uh, joins this human spaceship that's powered by a big super brain computer that falls in love with her and malfunctions as a result. Uh, and it's uh, just full of wacky hijinks and really cool uh, designs of robots and spaceships and shit. Very, like, colorful, glitzy, really, really cool uh, electronic synth uh, score. Um, and, uh, yeah, the the style of it and look of it especially the rotoscoping sections reminded me of those like zelda cdi games uh so yeah this a little weird thing uh to see in a theater pretty cool yeah i want to check out more like i feel like at the impression i have of like eastern european animation is like the simpsons itchy and scratchy like parody <laughs> where it's just like very dour and like doesn't make much sense but uh, yeah. I don't know. I want to should check more out from them. I need to like Russia's got a lot of, you know, good stuff beyond like the obvious, you know, masters that I haven't really checked out. I need mm -hmm. to get my knife and fork and dig in. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that was so weird to me. Uh, I this week you said watched meat off the bone earlier. Too. True. You're, just, well, that's, you're hungry. That's you're hungry, a hungry, that's you? a Wes, Wes Watson started saying chick we're getting chicken off the bone and nothing else. So I've, I've kind of internalized that a little bit. Chicken on off the bone only. Um since our last recording I have watched exactly one movie uh, other than our double feature nice. this week and it was The Long Good Friday, the 
1980 film by John McKenzie. Uh, Bob Hoskins stars as a, a gangster trying to go legit. It's one of those movies, you know, uh, trying to become a property mogul instead of a gangster. And uh, it's, it's awesome. It's like a real... Um, I don't know, it's a real strange film at first. You see all these things that are seemingly unrelated, these acts of violence and these, you know, money changing hands and stuff like that. And it's a film that you kind of slowly piece together by almost like the hour mark where you're like, okay, now I kind of have a grip of what this film is. And I think at its most obscure, it is more interesting than good, uh, maybe. I, I think it's actually just really good the whole way through, but more so just like intriguing and strange and then the final you know 50 minutes or so just keeps ramping up and ramping up and becoming more and more intense and you just get some insane Bob Hoskins scenery chewing throughout you get a scene where all these guys are getting interrogated in this like meat locker where like they're uh you know you see all these big slabs of meat on hooks and then you get guys hung up by them, uh, and you get like a great POV shot of a guy who's like hanging by his feet on these meat hooks uh, with the camera, yeah, upside down on the meat hook, just like sliding through this warehouse. And uh, you know, it's it's other than like that and a few other things, it's not too showy in terms of its style. But I think the really gritty, kind of punchy style matches Bob Hoskins' just completely unwieldy performance. Just going apeshit this whole movie. And uh, yeah, check out The Long Good Friday if you haven't seen it. And we'll be right back on Extended Clip to talk about The Happening. Look, I don't know if you guys have heard about this article in the New York Times about honeybees vanishing. Well, apparently honeybees are disappearing all over the country. Tens of millions of them just disappearing. There's no bodies, no sign of them. They're just mysteriously gone. It's scary, huh? All right, let's hear some theories about why this might be happening. And we're back on Extended Clip. The Happening is our B film this week. And boy, is it a B movie. Yeah. Uh, Reminiscent. uh, You know, M. Night actually, uh, it's not just reminiscent of these films. M. Night cited films such as The Birds and uh, the original Invasion Uh. of the Body Snatchers as influences on this film and i think those are very apt influences oh, on this film like the diner scene alone is so the birds like yeah. it's just uh yes. you're yeah. saying the birds really yeah that really clicked like that's the movie that this is most like yeah in my head at least yeah yeah i mean especially going from a big city to a smaller location here even getting more and more rural as you go mm-hmm. uh you know much like the birds starting with the hustle and bustle of san francisco before going off to that small oceanside community for the rest of the film um this film if you don't know is about a happening uh, people just start freaking out and killing themselves and really they're not freaking out they're just like stopping what they're doing to kill themselves uh you know you have these opening titles over these cloud formations that you know knowing it's a horror movie you're like oh these are ominous clouds but it's like you take out the soundtrack it could just be like very beautiful clouds passing by you know <laughs> it, it really depends on how the viewer wants to read into it and i think that that is how a lot of this film works. It's all just context because there are shots throughout this film of just trees rustling in the wind. And it's like, Oh, how beautiful outside of the context of the film inside the context of the film. Oh, that's the killer. And he's getting ready to kill, (laughs) you know? Um, So if you don't know, um, people start dying 
And uh, it's mysterious as to why, if you didn't see this film in initial release, you probably got it, quote-unquote, spoiled for you. You know, this was a big one. People around the schoolyard, uh, well, <laughs> not really the schoolyard. I guess I was in high school by this time, or I, I guess I was in eighth grade by this time. But people were like, dude, it was the fucking trees. It was so stupid. Uh, and knowing <laughs> that going in only makes it more effective, I think. Uh, just all these yeah. ominous shots of greenery throughout, you know. Uh, but the, the central unit here, you have Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel, and you also have John Leguizamo as Mark Wahlberg's friend, and he eventually goes out to find his wife, leaving his kid with Zoe Deschanel and Mark Wahlberg, and for the back hour or so of this film, they are trying to find places where this happening is not affecting them, and it's basically as simple as that. Nobody knows why everyone's dying. Everyone's trying to figure it out, and it's just a film full of flabbergasted reaction shots of groups of people uh, cut against ominous shots of nature. And uh, it's just a truly one-of-a-kind movie. Yeah. I mean, the Wahlberg performance I love in this, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's such a, a weird turn for Wahlberg. He's like the he's the cucked soy science teacher. Like, yeah. you get the little <laughs> opening where he's like... Uh, uh, talking to them about like nature and all that shit and like riffing with the kids and then you find out like about his like marital trouble and he's like a real uh, sweater wearing guy and I was surprised by how much like Wahlberg like fucking nails that performance well he's it's you know not not to be too harsh here but it's like he's finally playing to his actual physicality yeah in a movie for once <laughs> and, it is, and it is like it is super effective like it is like because you know we think of Wahlberg as like the wake up 3 a.m. I'm working out for seven hours pray with my family t- for two you know you know just a fucking you know trying to be a macho guy and like that's what he's been in a lot of his movies but it is like there's something like kind of cagey about him that works really well yeah. to this role and like i mean deschanel too you know for this point i'm about to make can makes he can make his eyes bug the fuck out yeah. and like and that and that's why this is a great all-time like uh eye bugging out uh <laughs> couple you know deschanel and uh Wahlberg. I don't know if there's two other people in Hollywood who could bug out as well as they can. Yeah, it's like you get her <laughs> intro shot after Leguizamo and Mark Wahlberg were kind of talking about, you know, maybe they had had a little fight or something, and then it just cuts to her, like, you know, her eyes completely bugged out, as you said, Malcolm, just like spacing out at home. Yeah. And then you realize it's because, like, she's avoiding the calls of this guy who she got tiramisu with, as you hear five more times throughout the movie. <laughs> uh, and on the other end of the phone call, the the muffled voice that we hear of that guy is, of course, M. Night Shyamalan in his, oh, his cheekiest yeah. director <laughs> cameo yet. Absolutely. Wow, dude. That's that rule. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, Mark Wahlberg is, uh, is finally playing, uh, something realistic for him, which is a guy who has a high school understanding of everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is, I love that about him. Like the part where he's, uh, where all those people are shooting themselves in the field and he's like reciting the scientific method to himself <laughs> to decide what to do next. Like that's so awesome. And this movie is probably the best example of uh like i think people underestimate the degree to which Shyamalan knows what he's doing and Mm -hmm. like is trying to be funny 
I I think this movie is like intentionally silly, but also weirdly, I find this movie like actually quite frightening in a way Mm -hmm. uh because i think it really and the thing that really makes me uh love this as a Shyamalan fan is uh obviously again he's playing with uh this fixation with fear and uh specifically the fear of death and uh in this one putting it in the context of this like post 9-11 urban paranoia where because for the first like 40 minutes of the movie everyone thinks it's terrorists which Mm -hmm. prompts some truly hilarious reactions like uh when they're watching the video of that guy getting shredded by the tiger and the woman goes my god what kind of terrorists are these (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so uh and uh, with the obvious like environmental slash ecological element of like the earth fighting back against human humanity like it's a uh, a cancer um and i i just think it's uh perfect again for like this era of uh you know people living in a, a time of uh, disasters uh, that they cannot explain and misery mm-hmm. that they can't explain uh i love how um for most of the movie whenever they're talking about it they have to it has to be so vague like the title the happening uh, all, all of the news reports in the first 30 minutes of the movie are them literally going, something is happening <laughs> uh, because no one knows. And uh, I just think that's like a very palpable feeling uh, for a lot of Americans uh, of the 21st century where, y- you know, things are not right. And there's so much misery and suffering around you. And it is specifically like uh, tied to human like concentrated human activity the thing is that it starts in parks because it's like nature but in places where there's a lot of people together so it's like forcing people apart again that that element of like the separation of families um and uh, also the the fact that there's always they hint at the possibility that it might like be a government hoax <laughs> yeah like they have that they have that one news report about like uh, it only happened in the Northeast and like the CIA has labs where they've been testing with chemicals or whatever. It's just like, uh, I think it captures the feeling of again, like post nine 11, like urban insanity. So well, Oh, absolutely. And I mean like those shots of, uh, everyone in central park and then later in, uh, Rittenhouse park in Philly, just like frozen still are so like yeah. terrifying, but also reminiscent of, yeah, like people not knowing how to respond to these, you know, horrific, yeah, horrific things that we've seen over our yeah. lifetimes. You know, all of us. I mean, Malcolm, you're a little younger, but you pretty much remember nine eleven. Do you remember nine eleven? Like, it, I'm not really no. No, okay, but yeah. like of the string of horrific things that have happened afterward, obviously the initial response is shock, and these people are frozen because the happening is happening to them and it then leads them to kill themselves. But I think that that not knowing what to do and the, just the completely confounding nature of these horrifying events is so like just uncomfortable and strange that it is such a perfect thing for Shyamalan to kind of mind B movie comedy out of like it's Mm -hmm. equally uh, kind of horrifying and funny like when in New York after the Central Park thing when the bodies are just hitting the fucking floor like the guys yeah. diving off of that construction set 
you know, the longer he holds on those reaction shots of guys just kind of not knowing what to do. Like first the one guy dies and I'm like, oh my God, our friend, you know, just fell off this construction set. And then just more and more guys are falling and it's just like pure confusion. Uh, those guys' faces yeah. are kind of funny, but it's like only because as a human, you don't know how the fuck you're supposed to respond to things like that. No, I think this is why yeah. it's like Shyamalan's tone is perfect for exploring things like this kind of like a an unexplained horror and mm-hmm. like kind of how he you know sometimes makes it you know humorous sometimes you know he'll pull the rug right under you sometimes it'll just be kind of something abstract you know kind of walking around a field and just like you know looking around paranoidly like you know what's about it what's about to go down kind of being like i don't know making very normal situations and kind of mining uh the strangeness mm-hmm. of them and like I don't know, like, I, I can't help but think of that scene where, like, you know, um, we got this, like, de facto family unit with Wahlberg, Deschanel, and the Leguizamo's kid, and then, like, these other two kids kind of tag along, yeah. and they're trying to, oh, like, God. bust into this house that, you know, seems occupied to, you know, looking for safety kind of w- towards the back half of the movie, and uh, very hilarious is, like, you know, uh, well, that whole scene is actually fucking insane where Wahlberg like sings to the doorway to prove yeah. that he's a human. It's like, I don't know if you're doing, <laughs> I don't know if you're doing much justice there to the humanity, but uh, <laughs> we're perfectly normal. On Blackwater, keep on rolling. Mississippi moon, won't you keep on shining on me? See, we're normal. But then the kid, you know, <laughs> very polite and like desperate approach and then the the kids are like open up pussy like we're gonna <laughs> fucking murder you and then like a gun just comes out and fucking murks them both and yeah like, it is kind of like and you get those those insane reaction shots yeah. from Wahlberg oh, and yeah. Zoe Deschanel yeah. just not yeah. knowing what the fuck to do like what they just saw was so horrific and you get the shot of the kid just running away and you get that classic like just frontal uh, centered close up on her just basically looking right into camera with her hands over her ears uh, just yeah it you know it, it really reminds me of something that came later and I guess th- this all relates to you know, I, I or you could relate all of these to these horrific things that Americans have seen over the last couple of decades and just had no proper response to because uh, the the things that the happenings reaction shots remind me of that I've seen more recently are one in Dragged Across Concrete when the lady just can't oh, get yeah. rid of her kid. She can't say goodbye to her kid, you know? Uh, and then she goes to the bank and obviously all that horrific shit goes down at the bank. And then also in Twin Peaks The Return when that little kid gets run over and the trucker just like puts his head in his hands and then there's all these onlookers and the onlookers reaction shots to that like i was horrified and couldn't help but laugh a little bit no when those people are looking in horror at the dead child in the middle of the street is that in the return where that woman is like honking her car or horn no that's another one which is also just fucking screaming why is this happening that is one of the strangest things I've ever seen in my life. This is like when uh, when the mom and her kid are like playing that game in the park and they pass by Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. And yeah. then that trucker like waves them yeah, through yeah. and just, you know, it just gets hit by the car. And like, yeah, I don't know. These people that are witnessed to this horrific thing, just like, you know, and in Twin Peaks uh, logic, of course, it then cuts to a telephone pole with a number on it and you're supposed to infer something there. <laughs> uh, but like those reaction shots of just, like 
I don't know. We, we've seen so much horror in the last few decades, especially with, as the happening will point out here, with that guy getting torn limb from limb at the zoo, uh, with the advent of videos uh, being taken on people's phones and being able to you know yeah. go viral, as it were. Um, the more immediate access to human suffering and just like, absurd horror of the body and mind uh yeah there's nothing you can do and it's just pure befuddlement it's our mental maps are scrambled you know what i mean it's it's not you know a a point a see something horrific b you know sincerely reply with horror it's people people don't really process things like that anymore whether it's like desensitization or you know approaching humor with it or whatever it is i think Shyamalan kind of taps in kind of to like how we're not, you know, we can't just process things in yeah. like a normal or quote unquote normal way. Yeah, no, like when 9-11 happened, all I remembered for the first few hours of that day is like, why is the TV on in the morning? We don't get to watch TV yeah. until, you know, everyone's back and, you know, around dinner time we would turn on the TV. Why is my mom watching TV before I go to school? <laughs> and then we went to school and then got sent home halfway through the day because clearly the school didn't know what the fuck to do either. And so it's these like mass horrific events that everyone is bearing witness to that you don't know what to do. Here though, there is a logic to it. It's not Mm -hmm. just a random horrific event. It is the earth striking back at us for all of the damage we've done to it. And that's when it becomes this ecological horror movie when you realize that, especially at the end when you got that guy on TV talking about this exact thesis and that it might be a warning of more horror to come. and of course, you have the rebuttal from the TV host, just like eh, I don't think so. Maybe it was <laughs> maybe it was just a hoax. You know, <laughs> it kind of inverts. Like I don't know, small point that doesn't really matter, but like kind of how like the movie Elephant. You know, instead of diagnosing why mm-hmm. the kid shot up the school, they kind of just give multiple like all the kind of like the TV media narratives that were going around. Yeah. They kind of just throw all of them at the wall. It's like this kind of an inverse where it is like Shyamalan. It's kind of like gauging how everyone is trying to like diagnose the situation, but it's like, um, you know, of course wrong in that sense too. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Uh, There's not too much that actually happens in the movie. You just kind (laughs) of come across more people. Ironically for the title. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, you, You know, the... Uh, the spaces that the main trio occupy become more and more wide open as, you know, it's obvious that this happening is, you know, occurring to larger populations of people. You meet uh, one of my favorite performances in this movie, Jeremy Strong, uh, better known now as uh, Kendall from Succession, is kind of the yokel who represents the military response to this, you know, at the time probably still perceived as a terrorist threat. And he just has no fucking idea what's going on. He is horrified. He's so good in that small role. Like, oh my god! He, uh, yeah, he uh, communicates so much about like being, like trying to have. He's so obviously like just some fucking guy in the military, yeah. uh, and he's trying to have that like commanding presence. But 
uh, has the exact same befuddlement as everyone else. And you get a repeat, essentially, of what you see with the cop in Philly, where with the cop in Philly, you see him uh, shoot himself and then his gun falls. And then it's like a suicide relay race where you're passing the baton. You know, everyone's just passing the gun. Everyone's killing themselves slightly off screen. You know, uh, Shyamalan shot is fucking awesome. It's so great where Shyamalan is just decapitating them in the frame, uh, essentially. And then it happens again off screen where you hear Jeremy Strong shout this insane thing about how. Private Oster. My firearm is my friend. It clearly some sort of like PTSD from his military service being activated by this happening where then we see Mark Wahlberg with his small group of people just freaking out because you hear all these gunshots off screen. And we've already seen this happen once. So you can only assume that this is just another mass suicide of one person picking up the gun after the other. Philly should be so proud to have that Rittenhouse Square Park scene. That's, like, so iconic yeah. for Philly. <laughs> Just everybody killing themselves with one cop's gun. Um, so they end up at this old lady's house who has disconnected herself from society. And it's funny because it kind of raises the question, like, would you actually want to just like if all these horrific things have been going on, would you want to just disconnect from society so you don't have to deal with that anymore? In this case, no, because you're still it's still going to catch up to you. <laughs> no, I think like yeah. the scariest stuff in the movie is like this old lady to me yeah. and like how paranoid she is and kind of like. You know, of course, like the idea of like going off the grid or whatever, like disconnecting, right? It's like almost kind of like a peaceful, idyllic idea. It's like I'm disconnecting with all like, you know, all the bullshit, you know, of life that I find, you know, uh, limits me or whatever. But to do something like that, you have to be a pretty paranoid, you know, angry, yeah. uh, dissatisfied person. You know what I mean? And like yeah. this woman's performance is so like when she like uh you know eventually she gets happened or whatever and uh <laughs> happened um, happened and uh then she like you know fucking breaks her head through the window it's it's scary it's scary stuff and it is like kind of like um you know with like kind of like the humor and kind of like i don't know just like kind of like the very like like even like the deschanel Wahlberg uh relationship stuff kind of uh simmering in the background how that's like kind of mind comedically or kind of like lightly in a sense it is like this this very intense old lady it's just very mean for most of the time there's kind of like a small part where they're you know breaking bread where she's you know sounds a bit nicer but it's like then she just smacks the kid yeah yeah and it's like there's like there's such an intensity to her performance that really kind of puts i don't know really ramps up uh everything that's going on in the movie you know what i mean because it is like you know with uh, and I think, you know, people, you know, criticize, oh, it's like the trees or whatever. But of course, it's like Shyamalan knows the gold is like how people react to this. And like uh, we get a very scary reaction towards the end. And I mean, in terms of the whole like the merits of isolation and being separate from mm-hmm. like society, I True. think like really yeah. goes to like, uh, I don't know how like kind of touching when they still don't really understand it. I mean, I don't think they ever really come to a comprehensive understanding of the happening throughout this but 
Wahlberg deciding to like reunite with uh, Deschanel at the end in like, I don't know, it's such a beautiful moment, like realizing that it's like, well, I probably could die by doing this and just deciding to be together like regardless and like, endangering the kid yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 it's like if i die i'm gonna die with you and i guess this kid can get it too yeah <laughs> i mean they, you know it's not my fucking kid once yeah. once you abandon your child you know what i mean it's not yours anymore exactly so. yeah that <laughs> Sorry, kid's like, fucked yeah. either way <laughs> uh, 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 now the kid has to live in quote-unquote normalcy with Wahlberg and deschanel you know i calling them their her uncle and aunt wearing a avatar last airbender backpack to school and it's funny, you know, not, not That's to... That's pretty sick flex. That yeah. is true. Not to pick... Predating I, him joining up on that production, I think. True. Well, he said he always wanted to do that movie because his kids liked it. So, okay. shout out to the kids. Yeah. Uh, but it is, like, funny, like, I don't know, to go... Not negative or whatever, but it is just, like, outside of the context of, like, all this is going on, it's, like, Deschanel and Wahlberg, just the most insufferable couple yeah. like, <laughs> just of all time. <laughs> just, Deschanel yeah, is sure. just, like fucking space headed at the crib just like she she doesn't seem to be never mind i don't want to get into it. it's not it's not that relevant to the yeah but it's you know what no, i will, I I will say you. this it's like it is impressive how like kind of like at i don't know there's not much to their relationship i would say like on a huge like emotional level but in like like moments like jt was describing like i am emotionally sold you know i guess you know you've been through something with someone you know that's that there's a bond that you know you get with the characters or whatsoever but i guess it's sort of after earth and this both kind of have a similar setup where it's like both movies that are around like 90 to 100 minutes and kind of just hit the ground running with their concept and like don't really um i don't know stop to reflect on the character's past or anything like that it's just go 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 well after if does reflect on the never mind (laughs) disregard the last two minutes of what i just said disregard (laughs) uh uh, 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 jt any final thoughts on this one in a rating um i'm gonna go four bullets it's uh i don't know just a fantastic movie i feel like it's has such a level of complexity like about all that he's tackling with like environmentalism like uh American like middle class like suburban and urban to an extent like anxieties about like terrorism and just so many new threats that are present and doing it in just a way that like seems effortless Mm -hmm. where he's like more focused on the horror and like the I don't know incredibly intriguing premise and uh, it's just such a fun ride and leaves you with so much to chew on. To return to to eating uh, <laughs> eating the movies. This is a damn five course meal, baby. A lot of eating. I feel like fifty percent of what I've said today was eating in sports metaphors, but <laughs> that's that's good. That's good stuff. People like to hear that. Bullet rating and so final thoughts. Uh, four bullets. I feel like maybe even four and a half on rewatch because there is something just uh, with all of like Shyamalan's films. I feel like this. I feel like a lot of like the pleasures of them or something like that are like, I don't know, kind of like literal or whatever, where this is like very abstract kind of filtering, like, you know, like we've said, 9-11 paranoia through like environmentalism paranoia and like making this weird mesh of just kind of like uh, just American incompetence of like, you know, diagnosing the problem or whatever. And uh I don't know. It, it, it and like I lo- I love the way this looks too. Kind of like you know, it is one of the great like uh, sunshine horror films or whatever. And how it's just it's very like 
um, you know, a lot of bright open fields and stuff like that. And, you know, not, we're not relying on dark corners. That's easy stuff. You know what I mean? But, uh, and like, yeah, Shyamalan gets like very good performances out of everyone here too. I would say, I think like the act, like Leguizamo is great in kind of like the 25 minutes he occupies. Like I think of that, that scene where he kind of, uh, I think we, we kind of leave him where he's like in that, in the Jeep with the family or whatever. And like, he kind of comforts the woman after seeing all like the dead bodies hanging from poles and yeah. kind of has this weird emotional moments and then they just crash and then we God, see him like that kill is so gnarly it's a gnarly kill yeah. and it is it is interesting how Shyamalan Shyamalan's the king of PG-13 horror in that he'll like just insert something very brutal and nasty at least once or twice for every PG-13 horror movie he does I think this one was R though I think this yeah. is his one R-rated yeah, movie yeah this is his one oh. it was one R movie I think well it's you know, to be honest it's like it's maybe maybe there's just a couple more maybe it's like oh, the it, lawnmower scene it feels scene. as horrific as the rest of his stuff kinda. like it yeah. is like if I feel like if yeah. like was old R I don't know old maybe. was PG-13 okay, yeah. Yeah, and so, had some crazy body horror yeah exactly so it is it yeah. is interesting how I don't know. I feel like Sham like out of all the Shyamalan movies, it might not be my favorite, but this one like feels like it's doing so many things mm-hmm. and I really appreciate that. So yeah, great movie. Uh Tim, what about you? I'm also gonna go for Bullets. I think this is like top tier uh Shyamalan for all the reasons that we've talked about so far. Um and uh and you know, cosign on everything everyone else has said. Um you know, I uh, I also for most of my life was you know uh, one one of the normie sheep who uh, bought into the narrative about uh, Shyamalan, the fake news narrative uh, that all Shyamalan movies after Six Sense were bad. Which after going through the majority of his filmography over the course of this year, um, I find to be pretty baffling because. I find a lot of the same things that people were so enraptured with in 1999 with The Sixth Sense in all of his subsequent movies. Um, uh, People often will point to the... uh, make make fun of Shyamalan's dialogue, uh, particularly in terms of things that characters say in their deeper emotional moments, like uh, the the scene you just referenced where John Leguizamo walks her through a math problem uh, to calm her down, or... Uh, the scientific method thing or whatever, but like, uh, or things that child characters will talk about in a lot of his movies. But uh, people actually do have like weird little random things like that that they latch onto. And it just has this certain sincerity uh, coming from, from Shyamalan. And I think he taps into uh, a lot of like really vague uh, anxieties and fears that people have really well. And especially so in this one and i also just appreciate it and i think it's especially um uh apparent in this movie i love how obvious it is that Shyamalan loves movies and loves making movies Mm -hmm. um he loves you can tell that he loves like the high emotion and like tension building and the like theatrical ephemeral element of cinema and really plays up those elements to create what I think are even the ones I don't like all that much, uh, really like strange and unique and often like poignant thrillers that, you know, are like humanist and sentimental, but also like very down to earth and just like, especially in this movie's case, like just weird and fun. And, uh, yeah, I, I think people, uh, uh, 
absolutely this is a, a an unfairly maligned uh film the happening i think he's doing so many interesting things here and like jt said it's just such a fun ride it's uh, the emotions are high the the thrills and the laughs are plenty when when i watch this uh movie i've seen it a few times now uh and yeah highly recommend yeah, I, uh, I've pretty much said my piece on this one. I talked quite a bit through this segment, so I don't have too many final thoughts. I think it's great. I think it's one of his better movies, and I am going to go four bullets on this one. We all give it four bullets, which makes it a classic edition oh. of uh, a segment named after one of M. Night's films, mm-hmm. The Sixth Sense. I guess it's eight uh, cents yeah. in this situation. But it still. is eight but cents. Still. Yeah. But still. But still. um we do have an email this week from alex s it's and you can always email us at extended clip podcast at gmail.com not always you can always email i mean you can always email i guess it's just just, not gonna mean shit after a few more weeks (laughs) yeah you might not get a response but you you could send it uh (laughs) it says hello I just wanted to send a few words of appreciation before Extended Clip ends. Thanks to you, I have discovered lots of titles I may have never gotten around to otherwise. Just off the top of my head, Terrorizers. I'd seen Yee Yee, but holy shit. I'm sad to see the show go, but you gotta do what you gotta do. Uh, Quick suggestion, it would be sick to have a soundbite channel on the Discord where we can share fun snippets of dialogue and whatnot. Ideally, no more than 10 seconds. Could be chaotic, (laughs) but at least there's a 10 megabyte size limit. Also, don't read this part on mic. That's the end of the email then. (laughs) Um... Uh, yeah, shows that I really screen these emails before I read them on mic. Um, that could have said anything. Yeah, exactly. uh, the mystery will prevail. Um, yeah, no, uh, I'll, I'll think. I'll think about that. The Discord hopefully will live on as a community for people to chat about movies and life and whatnot uh, after the show ends. And uh, you can always email us at extendedclippodcast at gmail We're only going to do six more episodes, so you have six more weeks worth of emails to send us. Six is actually longer than we said. We said we were going to do early December. We're we're basically taking you to the end of the year. Yeah. So fucking be grateful, okay? Don't be sad to see us go. Be grateful that we're taking you to the end of 2021. Three wise men on this advent calendar season. You know what I mean? It's, it only makes sense for us to really deliver it home and, you know, send, you know, here's to 2022, but you know, we'll get there when we get there. Uh, Tim, do you, I, I, first of all, thanks for bringing this fantastic double feature on the podcast. Uh, do you have anything you want to shout out for the people at home listening? Uh, anything to promote or whatever? Uh, I, uh, I do have a Twitter. It's pale movie man. Same thing on letterbox. If you're interested in that, I'm uh, official Pope Francis on Twitch, play some video games with some friends on there. Uh, I have some YouTube shit, but that's, who cares? It's fine. Okay. Um, yeah, so we'll see you next week for our sixth to last episode. We're going to do this one, then we're each going to do a double feature, classic style, uh, for the next three weeks. And then we're going to do a special, you know, kind of year-end style episode. And then one last double, maybe even triple feature for our finale. Just, just letting you all know. Uh, But next week, oh boy, is it a big one. We are going to be talking about the new film by Paul Thomas Anderson, Licorice Pizza, in a double feature with none other than 
the latest film by Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Two films about reimagining an era of Southern California to varying effects. I mean, I love both of the films. I don't think it's like that that big of a goal. But the effects vary. The effects (laughs) do vary quite a bit. Quite a bit. Uh, So anyway, we will see you next week for that. Goodbye.